Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Christy Tate. She's a writer and essayist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Carve Magazine, Cut Bank, The New Ohio Review, McSweeney's, and elsewhere. Her debut memoir, Group, How One Therapist and a Circle of Strangers Saved My Life, was published in October 2020 and was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here and really, really excited to dig in and talk about your book. So for people who have not read your memoir yet, can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. So my memoir opens and I am a law student. I have just completed my first year of law school and I'm first in my class and I should be popping champagne and celebrating. But instead, I I very quickly, like five minutes after I get the information about my class rank, my mood plummets and I really go to a dark, dark place, a a depression. And the message in my head was, yeah, great. You can do great in law school, but you're alone and you're always going to be alone because you don't know how to have a relationship. And I had a life that really supported those voices Mm -hmm. in my head. I didn't know how to connect with other people in a deep and meaningful way. I really craved it, but I found myself pushing people away or just ghosting or backing away. And I didn't know how to stop. And I was, I was obviously bright and I read Mm -hmm. a lot of books about how to, how to be close to people. And I couldn't pull it off. I was already in recovery for an eating disorder. I had grown up as a young overweight girl. I struggled with binging. Then I discovered purging. And when I was in college, I was able to find my way to a 12-step recovery program. So I knew recovery was possible. I knew life, my life had been changed and transformed. But I really believe that around relationships, I was just screwed forever. So I start mm-hmm. going to my meetings and I'm crying everywhere. And a friend of mine suggested, why don't you go see my therapist? And I scoffed because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't believe in therapy and I didn't have the money. And I thought that she was special and rich, unlike me, who was poor and not special. <laughs> Needless to say, I did go see her doctor and um, I was very intrigued. He was really smart. He figured out things about me the very first five minutes we sat down together and I really wanted, I wanted to change and he only ran groups. So it wasn't like I could just be his little patient on the couch. Mm-hmm. He was offering me a group and I was in enough pain and scared enough about where I believed I was headed personally. And he was super cocky. He was like, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> we can get you married. We can get you some friends. What else do you want? <laughs> wow. And I really, I didn't want anything. I was like, if you do that, you, you're good. Don't, don't be asking Just me what fix, else I want. Just fix me a little bit. <laughs> fix me a little bit enough to like go on with this life, right? Exactly. So what the, the memoir is starts at that point and I end up saying yes to group and it's the story of how my life changed incrementally, a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. I had a very mm-hmm. jagged recovery process, which I think is something I was, in, I was really interested in 
depicting for readers. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. just go in and get well. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of dumb mistakes four years into the process, five years into the process, but I ended up in a good place after many sessions and a lot of wild times and group therapy. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I'm so curious uh, how long after your, I'm sure people have asked you this, but I really want to know how long after your experience in group therapy, um, did you have the perspective to write about the changes you'd undergone? That's a great question. So I started my first group session was August 30th of 2001. Mm -hmm. And I still go. So this is ongoing. (laughs) The story that I chose to tell, I started writing this story in uh, in November of 2015. So I had been in group for 14 years when I started the book. And the events of the book, the main action that this memoir covers was from 2001 to 2008. So mm-hmm. it took, so, so I didn't start writing for a good seven years after I was spoiler, I was married and settled and had two kids and Mm -hmm. felt far enough away from my very embattled and embittered single self to start to tell the story. When you were going through the therapy earlier on, and did you have even an inkling that you would share the experience one day or that you would write about it? No, I had writing was not at all on my radar. I was a young lawyer just trying to survive trying to date trying to put Mm -hmm. a life together i had no writing aspirations whatsoever wow so it was really just about the process of growth and being there and showing up and seeing how you would change and then later on you found i guess i would call it courage to write about this Definitely. I mean, courage is a big piece of it. What's interesting is I didn't realize how much courage I had until I went on a book tour. I was just writing. I mean, Mm -hmm. when like anybody who's listening, who's a writer, you know, as a writer, Mm -hmm. part of me thinks no one's ever going to read this. I hope I would say to people, I hope one day you're in Costco and you see my book and you buy it. I would Mm -hmm. say that all the time, but I didn't believe it. I didn't have the kind of writing success or chops or precedent to believe this book was going to get into the wider world's hands. Mm -hmm. So I was able to be courageous. But then, you know, it ended up getting published and Reese Witherspoon (laughs) held it up on social media and it went places it could have never gone. I know, it's unbelievable. (laughs) That's really like striking. What is it? I want to say striking gold, but I don't, I think what I mean is like lightning striking or I don't know what I mean. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Very much so. You know, it's a, it's a question that memoirists get a lot and, and I'm curious how you handled that, you know, the, the revelatory nature of your story, you know, because my memoir, for example, I mean, they're all revelatory, but mine is about my childhood. And so I'm able to kind of compartmentalize mm-hmm. my life then from what I do now. But for you, it was very much about your adult time. And right. so I guess I have two questions, which is how did you decide that that section of yours was going to be the structure, like that was going to be the container for you? Mm-hmm. And um, what is it like to have people knowing that you're in group and that that it wasn't that long ago that you went through this? Yeah, so I that really was part part of the writing journey was I had written a novel and it was terrible. It was so, so, so (laughs) terrible. It had no soul. It had no plot. It had no point. Okay. It was bad. And, but I felt a calling to write and I actually went to group therapy to talk about what am I going to do? I have this desire. And somebody said, well, why don't you try telling a true story essentially? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, 
okay. And I thought only famous people were allowed to write memoir. Right. You know, like Celine Dion. And uh, who wants Christy Tate's memoir? Nobody. So. Well, who wants Celine Dion's? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, well, (laughs) you raise a good point. You raise a good point. Sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Memoir gods and goddesses, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that is too funny. So I ended up finding a group of nonfiction writers and I started studying story and writing and I have I don't have formal training I would just take guerrilla classes and I read this big book that everyone told me to read called Story by Robert McKee I know that book I yes. studied it actually when I was studying <laughs> fiction that was one our teacher gave us Totally. And so I was like, okay, well, I have no idea how to bend my imagination to all these principles. But all of a sudden, one day I had a vision. I was like, oh, I have a true story I could tell. It's young valedictorian of her law school class, but secretly suicidal. Enter this therapy, enter all these crazy, this crazy cast of characters. And she ends up, and I just sort of knew that the story that I wanted to tell encapsulated in this memoir was I could picture the final scene, which became one of the final scene. There's an epilogue, but the final scene is my wedding, which is horrifyingly anti-feminist, right? Like, Oh, well I'm cured. I got married. But what I was focused on narratively is the wedding was a symbol because I, you know, it was a Jewish wedding because the man I married is Jewish and they hoist us up in these chairs and I look down, there's my family, there are friends, there's my group mates, oh, there's my therapist. It was th- that event, not yes. because I was like now going to be having regular sex and heteronormative marriage, but the party itself was an indication that I had been surrounded and held by people. I had learned how to be close to people. So I always knew we were going to end on the wedding, even though I had some yes. issues with the feminist message of that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's really interesting. Did, did you end up negotiating that? You know, I, you don't have to spoil, you know, you don't have to reveal too much, but were you able to handle the scene in a way that made you feel less like a bad feminist? Yes. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time with it. And I just, it's sort of like, I'm sure you've had these moments, but I just, the project, the way it came, the way the outline came to me, and I'm not talking like pages and pages. I'm talking like an index card where Mm. I could, I could see the beats opening Mm -hmm. scene. I'm first in my class. I'm going to kill myself. And then all the different boyfriends and the, the, the strange things that happened during group that moved me (laughs) forward as weird as they were. And, and then that final scene, like I, I just felt it as a whole and complete baby you know and so when I went to write it I I I my goal was to not be sentimental or goopy about it it really wasn't that much about my husband Mm -hmm. it was more about like how did I get to be the woman standing at the center of this party a celebration of family and new life Mm -hmm. how did that get to be me and it's just a wedding is a symbol of so many things and I really tried to pull the focus away from goo goo gaga love forever and Mm. to look at these people at this party yeah yeah i totally that makes a lot of sense and so then the second part of the question just to refresh you because i gave you the whole bunch at once (laughs) what kind of an interviewer was that is how how is it to have like the the veil between two worlds the two worlds the the world that you live in now and the, the adult world that you are representing how is it in terms of protecting your privacy and like knowing people know this about you oh my god i i'm i 
I love it. I feel so integrated. I feel completely integrated. For years, I there were some people I would come out to, some people at work knew, some people didn't, some of my family members knew, some of them didn't. And it was always this calculus. I was always thinking like, okay, I'm an, I'm I'm gonna have to leave this luncheon at in 12 minutes. Am I gonna tell these people where I'm going? <laughs> Am I gonna just say a doctor's appointment? Am I gonna say therapy? Am I gonna say group therapy? I just I spent so much yeah. energy trying to like navigate that. And now the book's out. Hey guys, I'm going to group. Guess where? <laughs> like I did it last Friday. I dropped my son off at a birthday party. And I don't really know the host, the the little boy where he was going. I didn't know the mother very well. And she was like, okay, well, you don't have to stay if you don't want to. I was like, I'm going to go sit in my car and do group. And she was like, <laughs> okay. And I just like, I'm integrated. Like I, I want to normalize my own experiences and everybody. I mean, I think after this pandemic, we all need therapy. And I'm just, yeah. I'm an out of the closet, out loud person. So for me, it feels like integration. I mean, now, I'm being very, very over the top about it. There are certain things that I wrote about in the book, like things that I did sexually where I gave myself away. And I'm very explicit in the book and I'm proud of being explicit. But I would be lying if I didn't say every now and then I run into someone who says, oh, I read your book. And I'm like, are you picturing me <laughs> in right? that? Si-? You know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I've made peace with that. But on the whole, I feel integrated and really grateful. Yeah. And so, OK, so here's like another double question let me let me try to separate it out for you so we can both like focus <laughs> so memoirists often have to contend with what to reveal you know and and how to approach the people we've written about so can you talk a little bit about you know what the process was like for you particularly if you, you know since we've kind of talked about what to reveal but you know how did you approach talking to the people you wrote about you know, and yeah. did you let them know in advance? Because as a memoirist and also when I write about craft, this comes up. You know, what do we tell the people who we care about or who yeah. impacted us greatly? Or what about the people we're really angry at? Like, do we write about them, et cetera? Yeah, this is really tricky. And I can't get enough of these conversations. And mm-hmm. I think it's very relationship specific. I really do. And it depends on so many factors. But for me, with this group, this project... I told my current group, and a lot of those people are in the book, I told them the first day I started. It was their idea. They told me to go write a true story. (laughs) story. So they knew about it. My therapist knew about it from the beginning. And once the book sort of like started becoming a real legitimate project where I was like working with other writers and going to workshops across the country to make the story better and to create the work, I realized, oh, okay, very early on, like many memoirs, I'm like, what am I going to do about so-and-so who's not in my group anymore and probably nobody goes to group therapy thinking someone's going to write a book about them and Mm -hmm. so I did two things on that front the group mates who weren't with me anymore I was very very careful I drew a very very tight line around what I revealed in my book which was I revealed my work my -hmm. reasons for going what I said what I did and to the extent that someone else in group gave me something participated with me, danced with me, like metaphorically through a session and gave me pieces of myself or gave me the lessons that I needed. I wrote about that and I disguised them very, very deeply. Mm -hmm. But I also reached out to most of them, the ones I could find 
who are still alive. And I sent them copies and I said, you know, this is what I'm up to. And, you know, let's talk about it. And one former group member, he didn't want to read it, but his wife did. And I said, okay, well, have your wife read it if she has any objections. And that's the only case where somebody who read it asked me to make a change. There was a one piece of biographical information in there about their family that she wanted to change. Mm -hmm. And I was fine with that. Like, you know, my life is a group project. My writing, (laughs) I have to face these people. I have Mm -hmm. to, I have to honor this. I have to honor and bring my ethics to bear on this project or it it will never work as a writing and as writing and my therapy would be completely compromised. So I had to work long and hard on that. And I had a lot of rough nights wondering if I was doing it right. And what about my ex-boyfriend? Everybody asked about the ex-boyfriends, everybody. (laughs) And you know what? I didn't go looking for them. Um, One of them passed away, (laughs) a few of them. And he was the one that I was going to sit down and have a conversation with. And so I was very sad that he... Um, is no longer with us and a few of the other ones I was like that doesn't make any sense and I talked to lots of other memoirs that's what my advice for other people writing is like ask other memoirs how they did it like one woman said (laughs) one writer said to me you know I let my family know and I gave them early copies and we talked about it. And I said, well, what about your ex-boyfriends? She's like, oh, they can all go fuck themselves. (laughs) And I was like, I am not that tough. I'm really not that tough. But at the end of the day, I knew that ethically and legally I had, I had told the truth and I let them have their privacy because I didn't out who they were or what they did or where they lived or any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a lawyer at Simon and Schuster said something so great to me when we were talking about the legal parts, like the legal aspects of this. She said, well, you know, you're allowed to write about whatever happened to you and your body. Hmm. And I was like, okay, like it's, it doesn't mean I don't have any feelings about it, but I'm allowed to do this. That's what memoir is. Right. And I see what you're saying. There's like this integration. If you're going to be doing all this work, this close up and honest work on yourself and group, then you want to, you know, deal with the people involved in the book with integrity too. You don't want to, you know, kind of compartmentalize it because that's not good for your psyche. It's not good for them. It's not good for what you're trying to do as a person either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so what about your family? Um, You know, how, you know, is your family um, an emotive set of people or, you know, how do they react to it? Oh God, no. I keep telling people (laughs) there's two things my family, like if we're going to talk about like my family, mythos or religion or the very closely held beliefs one is uh we don't believe in therapy and the other one is we don't tell people our business Hmm. so i'm in big trouble you know with i'm i've fallen way out of line of the family (laughs) the family tree i'm way way far away because i wrote a book about therapy for the whole wide world and you know, so they're very, very private people, even not even just my parents, because that's a generation. Most of the people I know talk about their parents, you know, this greatest generation. I mean, I guess they're older boomers. I'm not sure. They're older. Mm -hmm. And so they don't go to therapy. They don't understand this world of memoir. They they read like things about the war, you know, like they're not (laughs) reading memoirs about women in their bodies. And so, um, that part was really scary for me. And I really, because I know that they're private and this story didn't really involve them, I felt pretty good. Like I could really keep them out of it. I just kept them out of it because that's mm-hmm. easier for me. 
there were spots where I'm like, I have to explain how did I get to be a person who needed so much goddamn therapy? Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't just happen to somebody. And Mm -hmm. there were forces of culture and religion and my family. And I Mm -hmm. touched on them. What I like to think for myself is in my heart, I touched on them with honesty and integrity and not blaming anyone. It's not my parents' fault. Like they, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their ideas about why you shouldn't tell people your business is about that's how you survive socially in the world. Like Mm -hmm. the world is full of backstabbers and gossipers. So don't give them a reason. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and it also so happens like I'm a person who wants to be held very closely to people and that's not really in their skill set. So there's obviously a clash of like values and desires between me and my parents, but I sent them the book early on. So there was a galley. So we were still doing edits. So if they were like flipping out, I could still theoretically change something. And to their credit, they were like, this is your book. You tell your story. We have feelings about it. Mostly they felt great sorrow that I had gone through all these things Mm -hmm. and they couldn't save me. And a lot of them, they didn't know. But by the, this is more integration, right? Now they know all these things about me. Like, my parents shouldn't know about my sex life. I mean, that's not normal. <laughs> but now they do. And I am i don't know what to say about that other than it's more integration. And we are closer now because hmm. I don't think any of us would sort of like have picked that. If there wasn't a book, I wouldn't have just like plopped over and started telling them what happened with John so-and-so in 2003. But... The fact that it's a piece of art in the world that they chose to consume and they've been very supportive, I give them a lot of credit for that because this is so far outside of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And But at the end of the day, I just I had a lot of support as a writer, as a person who deserves a voice, that by the time I presented it to my family, I was like, I love you. I know we're really different and this is important to me and I'm sharing this with you and you can do what you need to do with it. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Which is so different from the place where you started. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's like what, 20 years of therapy. I'm in 20 years Mm. at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm sure a lot of us can relate, myself included. So what are you working on now? Yeah. So I just sold my second memoir and I'm going to be working with the same editor. And this, the subject of this one is female friendship. What I discovered was when I got myself sort of stabilized and situated romantically, I sort of looked around and I was like, oh, ooh. I had a lot of wreckage and scars Mm -hmm. and things I needed to clean up in my relationships with women. I wanted to write about that because for so many years I was so obsessed with, where's my boyfriend? Where's my destiny? I want to have babies. What's going on? That... There was a whole part of me that was just very behind on learning how to be a friend and connect to women and do friendship. I think most people probably learn it in their teen years and maybe in their early 20s. I was 40 when Mm -hmm. I really learned how to be a good friend and to show up. And I really wanted to I wanted to tell that story. Wow. Yeah. So so that's um, do you have a timeline on that book? Yeah, they've told me that we're going to start edits soon, and they told me that it's going to come out in spring of 2023. Wow, that's not too far away, I know. Actually. It feels yeah. very... I have more hard conversations coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's why 
fine. A year, I got a year to, to tell people what's what. <laughs> I know. It's like memoirists. We do it to ourselves. Totally. <laughs> um, that's our catchphrase. So can, can you share something that you find challenging in your own writing? Oh my God. Yes. This is what I find challenging today, which is different. You know, every phase of writing has a different challenge. What I find challenging now is what am I supposed to be doing? On any given day, I've got a block of time that I carve out to write, be it 30 minutes, two hours, whatever it is I get that I've carved away from everything else. And I sit down at my computer and, you know, sometimes in the middle of working on an essay or I'm about to turn around some edits but most days I have to decide for myself am I gonna am I trying to start a third book am I gonna try to go back to fiction am I gonna write an essay about bathrooms I've been thinking about (laughs) bathrooms a lot lately I just there's this anxiety that comes with the artistic freedom that I have a battle with every time I sit down and it brings me like it brings me like physical pain because I'm so scared of squandering my time. I'm so scared of like being behind or not fulfilling like my purpose or using my whatever God has given me. I'm afraid of not using it rightly. And mm. that haunts me. So that's that is a writing challenge. It also sounds like a spiritual challenge, but it's definitely so a writing challenge. So what do you do? Challenge. Like what are some of the tools, you know, if, if you met a writer who was going through the same, do you have? ways to combat it or you know mitigate it yeah I definitely what I have learned for myself I've learned two things because this has been very intense with me since January so now we're it's like for the past six weeks it's been really crippling like a source of great anxiety what I do is when I sit down at my desk to start the writing time I do two things one is I text another artist and I say I commit to something. Just pick mm-hmm. something, Christy. Like, I'm going to work on the essay about body image. I'm going to work on it for, you know, however long. So I bring another artist into, like, to witness me, right? That's what I learned in group, have a witness. Um, and, you know, my friends will text back or they'll heart my text, but it feels like I'm not doing it alone. So that's one thing. And the other thing is I try to keep several things I, I work on several things at a time that mm-hmm. way when one thing's like done and I've sent it out or just submitted it to literary journals like I'm not I'm never I never leave myself with a blank page I always have something that needs more work needs a conclusion needs a better title so I have a couple things going at once because I think if I whittle myself down to just that blank screen I think the anxiety rises higher and higher and higher so balls in the air works for mm-hmm. me yeah that's really helpful thank you um, I'm sure there are going to be people listening who will take that advice you know that will can really use that um, in in our final few minutes do you do you have a piece of advice and that you'd like to share with memoirists or writers in general about the writing life or about something that you've discovered yeah I really think one thing that I think has there's lots of ways to write right but and there's what I'm in touch with especially in the past six months is I can write lots of things and send them out and some of them will be successful and some of them will never be picked up or go anywhere what I haven't figured out how to do is how to have joy I mean joy and this is it this I have moved heaven and earth to have this as my career now so I'm a full-time writer and this is like my heart's deepest desire why am I not more happy and most of it for me is ego stuff right like well I I 
none of my essays have been picked up or I got another rejection today. Like I get really bogged down by the externals and I'd really like, I have really worked on building the infrastructure for like the internal parts, the joy parts. One of the things I just did was in January, I started a, a writing group and it's a process group. So we don't workshop each other's manuscripts. We don't even bring writing to the pay, to the, to the workshop. What we do is we just talk about what we're doing, what feels good. It's sort of account. Some people use it as accountability. Like, okay, we meet once a month by next month, I'm going to write three queries or I'm going to mm -hmm. finish a draft. But some people just say, I'm bummed. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, upset i didn't get into a residency it's people in all stages of their career there's about 10 of us and it's just a place to talk about writing and the writing life because writing is isolating and i mm -hmm. i don't have colleagues like I, i'm my only colleague that's a huge problem <laughs> so i've had to create colleagues and i would say that building community is a huge huge priority for me to scaffold my, myself and my writing and if, if writers have heard of this, I got this idea. I saw another writer on Instagram was like, here's my process group picture. And I'm like, what is a process group? <laughs> and I asked her about it. And now I have one. It's like mm -hmm. writers and artists are hungry for community and getting doing that networking and bringing people together to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, the heart wrenching. That's that's how we're going to make. I mean, of course, I'm gravitating to groups. That's obviously my jam. <laughs> but but if you're not a group person and not everybody is like, where can you make a connection with another writer? I've made a lot of friends every time I take a class and I still take classes. Mm -hmm. Every time I take a class, I get somebody's information and follow up with them. Like who could be my writing buddy? Who can be part mm -hmm. of my tribe? Mm -hmm. Because I can't do it without a tribe and people having my back. It's just invaluable. And that's, I would say, build community. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So do you have a, a memoir or two, a handful of memoirs you'd like to recommend or that you love? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I always recommend. I keep these two on my desk because they're so meaningful to me. One is called The Chronology of Water. It's by mm -hmm. Lydia Yuknovich. There's no book in the world like it. It is absolutely stunning and gorgeous and it's just so excellent. I read it every March. That's mm -hmm. one. Another one is um, Heavy. It's, mm -hmm. it's called Heavy, an American memoir. It's by Kiesi Lehman. It too is extraordinary. There's nothing like it. Beautiful writing, incredible stories, what it's like to be a, in a certain kind of body in a racialized world that, pri that, pri that makes white skin primary and normative thin bodies it's just incredible another one that i'm loving right now and i've returned to it i've just recently started rereading i'll say two more claire dieterer's love and trouble it's mm -hmm. a beautiful memoir about this woman this writer finds her journals from when she's an adolescent and she sort of like kind of goes back to understand who she was when she was first becoming like a sexualized being and how that relates to her midlife it's really gorgeous and the last one i'll say is priest daddy by Patricia Lockwood. It's hilarious. It's, she's a poet. So you know these poets write these gorgeous books. Yes. And it is wild and funny and irreverent and just just unforgettable scenes. Like those are my, I love memoirs so much. And those are like, those are my go-tos. 
Thank you so much. I, I've heard of a few of them and I hadn't heard of the others. So that's awesome. Thank you. So Christy, where can people find you and, you know, find your work? Like where, where should I send people? Sure. So I have a website that sort of collects all my writing and my news. That is christytate.com. And I, the social media that I do the most is I'm Instagram girl. I'm really scared of Twitter. I tweet once every five years because I'm too scared. <laughs> um, and, but Instagram, I'm on Instagram as Christy O. Tate. My middle name is O'Brien. So that's what the O is. And I love to talk about books and reading and memoir and snow, just whatever. I'm chatty. I'm a chatty person, as you can tell. Thank you so much. Okay, I am going to put all those links. I'll put that in the show notes so people can find you there. And I just want to thank you. This was really fun. Thank you so much for being my guest. Absolutely. Thank you for talking about memoir. And I'm I'm just really excited. The more people we have talking about it, like the more we'll be able to find each other and help each other. So this is awesome. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.